Welcome to Sticky Interviews. I'm Nathan Simmons, Senior Leadership Coach and Trainer for MBM, Making Business Matter, the home of Sticky Learning. We are the provider of leadership development and soft skills training to the grocery and manufacturing industry. The idea of these interviews is to share great ideas, great concepts and great ways these skills are being used to help you be the best version of you in the work that you do. Welcome to the show. Welcome to this sticky interview with me, Nathan Simmons, Senior Leadership Coach and Trainer for MBM, Making Business Matter, the home of sticky learning. And today's interview I, you know, is difficult for me to explain because there's so many crossovers in ideas, concepts, and necessary learnings from what I get from this man, from his content, the crossover of indigenous wisdom, um, of timeless leadership skills and the necessity for values in businesses and organizations the content that is shared from james is phenomenal and worth the time to invest in the listening to the understanding and the deployment of um it's phenomenal he's a highly experienced brand and business consultant he advises clients including kpmg raffles group adidas heineken and the economist which in itself is staggering and to establish compelling visions, values, purpose, and positioning, and to affect transformational organizational change. E even with that on its own, when you then go and look at his, his literature, book, legacy, the case study that was done with the All Blacks and his 15 behaviors of leadership and other books that are coming out and the talks that he does, those two elements separate are phenomenal you put them together and you get an incredible career to date with some phenomenal changes that have come out the back of it so today i'm going to dig into some personal interests of mine into this man's mind in order to share with you and there is going to be some deep wisdom shared for sure and i'm looking forward to this conversation massively james kerr welcome to sticky interviews welcome to this conversation and thank you for being here so very appreciated Thank you very much, Nathan. It's great to be here. Great to talk. Uh, I, uh, I didn't even know of you before, and I've had a deep interest in spirituality and, and, and indigenous original wisdoms and cultures for a long time. And all of a sudden, listening to your content, I think it was the do lectures I first picked up. And talking about some of those mindsets and approaches just blew my mind. Jaw on floor, absolutely, you know, for 25 minutes of content. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The, the, the first question that I always ask our guests is, why do you do what you do? <laughs> why, well, why not? Why not? I, I think, um, you know, there's a, we talk about sort of indigenous culture, we talk about, uh, you know, one of the pioneers and some of the writing around that is a guy, Joseph Campbell, who, who's a comparative mythologist, and he, he tries to get to the bottom of, you know, what, what, you know, what makes cultures tick, what are the mythologies of, of great cultures and he comes down to one phrase which is you know follow your bliss find that things that gives you the deepest satisfaction in whatever you do in whatever format um you do you know find the joy find find that thing that drives you because it's that passion uh and that that connection uh that will will give you the resilience you need give you the focus you need and all of that and for me it's always been about you know a crossover between between writing um, between speaking and between working with with environments, with teams, uh, with culture, um, 
you know, on, on the list, your very kind list, uh, you know, as you introduced me, the, the other aspect I work with a lot are, you know, elite high-performing teams. You know, how do the best in the world become and, and retain uh, their level of excellence? And, and there is a, a, a small L spiritual dimension to this. I think it's anthropological in a sense that, that where these teams come from and, and uh, the, 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 the processes and the practices and the values, we talked about values, really of the great teams now have been the same values really have been handed down for millennia, for centuries, maybe thousands of years. Um, because I think we're hardwired to an extent to, um, to, to, to work together as a team. And the teams that have worked together really, really well have survived and thrived and their genes have carried on. So there's a certain kind of values base uh, that I think applies to all great, certainly all great elite teams, but extrapolate outwards to all great organizations. And I think I'm really interested in those transferable principles. You know, what are the things that one domain can teach another domain about how to operate and how to operate at kind of optimum effectiveness? So that's my kind of sweet spot. I did not expect you to say the words Joseph Campbell right at the start of that. Phenomenal. <laughs> and this is the thing when you get into the values and whether it's at the individual or the team or the organizational level or, or sports team or whatever, there is that testing of those values. There is that, you know, is these are my values. This is what I believe true. And there has to be that testing in order to create a testimonial. There has yeah. to be that hero's journey. There has to be the, the young Luke going through the process and finding out and then breaking down and then and finding out his father is Darth Vader and going through it. And then finding out, okay, well, actually, which side of the force do I want to stand on? Which side of my values do I believe in? And that galvanization that teams go through, that um, elite forces go through, elite sports individuals go through, that trial by fire that we have to go through that says these values are true. Yeah, and, and I, th I think that's particular, I'll come back to the, the hero's journey in a second, but I think in particular, you know, right now, I don't want to get too COVID heavy here and, and it'll date it, but right now, we're in a, a time of re-evaluation, profound re-evaluation, um, that, that we've really had to, as a society, as organizations, we've really had to uh, revisit what it means to be human, where our values lie, is it about the economy, is it about health, how do you get that balance between the two. Um, a lot of us have spent a lot of time at home um, uh, living a simpler life, a slower life. Um, do we want that corporate rat race? Do we want that commute into work? You know, there are a huge number of questions that are very values-based question. What do we value about life? And, and, and we tend to move in the directions of the things that we value. That's where we put our attention. Um, so I think for any leader now, there is a, there is a, a, a definite process for that leader themselves to, to re-evaluate and for organizations to re-evaluate, to be looking at their deepest values. Now, if we talk about in a time of crisis, the organizations that really survive and thrive tend to be those that really have a strong values foundation. Um, now, it's going to be very tempting for people to take the expedient view now, you know, you know, rush after the next opportunity, panic and do this. But, but my experience and my belief is that, is that the, the organizations that really, um, as I say, sort of survive and thrive, it's, it's a bit of a catchphrase, but it, but it, but, it, but it really encapsulates, 
you know, that sustained success, the ability to build something for the future, are those that are able to come back and look at their values. And in a process of reevaluation that we're going through now, to be able to come back to the value set, what do we fundamentally stand for? What are, is our solid human foundations is more important than it's ever been. And it's also a fantastically powerful prism for leaders, particularly of large organizations that have maybe been buffeted by the winds of change, to really go, well, what is it that we fundamentally stand for here? Um, rather than chasing after the expedient kind of um, solution, going, well, what is it that, because that, from, from, from values comes value, really. You know, if we, if we can establish our values, we create value from that place. That's where we are valuable for other people. And if we're valuable to other people, they will give us their valuables. They will give us cash. It, and, exactly and, right. And trying to kind of integrate that through line of, of who we are and how we act and what we deliver, I think is in, in turbulent waters is an extraordinarily important uh, factor in, in sustainable success. And it's also a very easily understood um, framework. Uh, for an organization to kind of understand itself and in, in what are what the military would call VUCA times, volatile, uncertain, complex and ambiguous times. You know, they're very complex times. No one quite knows what the quite what's going to happen in the future. So coming back to values and just being values based is a tremendously powerful way uh, to navigate uh, some difficult times ahead. Yeah, nice. And you, you hit the nail with the values thing because I talk about this a lot with with clients about who you add value to, how that makes you more valuable. Um, yep. There's a Jim, quote, Jim Rohn quote that I paraphrase. He said, you can get $6 an hour for sweeping the floor at McDonald's, or you can six, get $6.50 if you do it with a smile on your face. Well, but, yeah. yeah. You know, and you just add more to it. And having a conversation a few days ago where I was being interviewed, and he said, yeah, but you're talking about the values, this values of comfort. And I said, it's not the value of comfort. It's a false value of security. We think we value certainty. We think we know we're creating this bubble, but you know, nothing in nature is certain. And actually what we're valuing is distraction. Or this situation right now has put everything under such a lens where it's forcing people to reevaluate that actually, what do I mean? Yeah. You know, we, we say that we throw it out like, you know, very flippantly. Oh, do you see what I mean? Do you hear what I mean? Well, actually, what do you mean? What do you stand for? Yeah. Yeah. So that you, so you can bring more of you rather than the other stuff. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, if, you, if we go back to the ancient wisdom thing and you talk about, uh, you know, sand mandalas, um, uh, you know, which are these Tibetan Buddhist uh, mandala, like circles, the circle of life, um, made out of sand. And mm -hmm. it takes days to do it. You know, it takes days to build them. And they're beautiful. If, you're, if you like that kind of aesthetic, they're beautiful. And of course, the monks at the end of the, their practice sweep them up, destroy them. And the whole point of it is, you know, we make something beautiful, but everything is impermanent. Yeah. And, and as soon as you start thinking everything will go on forever, that's where you start falling back on habits and formulas as an organization, as a team. Um, there's a line, uh, you know, that I, I use in my book that when you're on top of your game, change your game. You know, you know, you need to be a generative force. Your culture needs to generate the future because as soon as you start living in the past, well, we've always done things this way or well, that worked last time. You know, that's when you get complacent. That's when arrogance sets in. 
and and that's when somebody else sharper faster and hungrier than you comes on in and so you know this this chastening time that we've been through is 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 an incredible example of of um you, you know, knock me down three times and I'll get up four. They're organizations that are able to reboot themselves, reevaluate, reconnect, repurpose themselves, reinvisage the future, um, uh, are going to be the ones that, that, that thrive. And those that are going, yeah, but we've always kind of made boots this way or whatever it is, um, are going to get left behind. And so, you know, again, talking about ancient, ancient, cultures the book i'm working on at the moment is is around everest and nepal and of course the great god of nepal is shiva and shiva is the is the god of destruction in order to create um that, that you must tear things down in order to regenerate what's next and and i think um that is the cycle of life of course that, that that's one of the great cycles and i think we've been tested small l spirituality if you like you know these myths and legends have, have, have developed because they're pertinent way of sort of understanding some of those cycles but but you know this is i think the challenge um you know you, you know taking on a difficult environment and then thinking right well what's next how can we reinvent ourselves and all the great teams the elite teams whether it's special force units i've had the privilege to work with or or you know, World Cup cricket teams or, or um, uh, international rugby teams or whatever, are, are masters at, the Navy SEALs have a great line. They say what they're looking for is in their people uh, are expert learners, people who can learn very, very quickly. And actually elite cultures, high performance cultures are fundamentally learning environments. It's how do you take on the new data, the new input and turn that into into action quickly and and well uh, in order to respond faster than the competition. Uh, in military, they call it the OODA loop. Um, the OODA loop was developed in the Korean War by the US Air Force uh, to, to improve decision-making from their pilots. Uh, and the OODA loop is simple. It's observe, orient, or kind of options, decide and act. You've got to see what the world is. You've got to see what your options are. You need to make a decision. Even if it might be the wrong decision, you've got to make a decision. Then you've got to act. And then you observe again. And going through that decision-making process is a place of kind of fail fast, learn quickly. You know, be expert learners. Put it out there. Make stuff happen. And be a generative force. Because you can always kind of alter your pathway. But if you're sitting there waiting for stuff to happen, you know, it never will. So I think there's a lot of different uh, aspects and distinctions that can come from, from many different domains and start to inform some of the sort of situational decision-making that has to happen for leaders today, given the context that we've just found ourselves living in. That was crikey, there was a lot in that. Um, Dan Pena, you know, he's a very much a Vegemite, Marmite kind of guy. You either love him or hate him. And he says, you know, um, I, I, I may be wrong, but I'm never in doubt. Yeah. And it's having that certainty. And is when you take the action, and which I do as a coach, and I learn to do through my coaching qualification, is even when I'm having the conversation, I am reflecting on what's being given back to me. Okay, did I say the right thing? Did I ask the right question? Am I going in the right? So I'm constantly creating that loop for myself to make sure that the conversation is moving in the right direction. Yeah. 
And it's yeah. just that one percent improvement that compounds over time to make that difference. And and you know it's it's you know without sounding too highfalutin, Hegelian dialectics. You know thesis. It's a new one for me. Yeah, thesis, antithesis, synthesis. You know the way that decision making works is is quite binary. In some ways, it's this or that, and then a combination of. And and you know he he would argue, and and various philosophical schools would argue that that is the the core kind of decision-making thing. There's an either or, and then a combination of, or the result of that decision. And, and so if you take the OODA loop, the ability to churn through that loop, to make those decisions, never sit on the fence, but to make those decisions, see what happens, make a new one, adjust, adjust. It's like sailing, it's like sailing, adjusting. You know, sometimes the, the sail's gonna be too tight, sometimes it's gonna be too loose. Sometimes you've got the keel in the right place, sometimes the wrong place, but you're always adjusting. You're always adjusting that. And sometimes you need to tack in a different direction, but, but, but the ability to be moving forward, making decisions, not sitting there like a rabbit in the headlights becomes extraordinarily important, particularly on a small team level, but on an organizational level as well. On a small team level, if people don't think they're moving forward, they're preparing their CVs quite quickly. You know, that this isn't going anywhere. You know, anyone who's been in a relationship and, they, and has been asked, where is this going? You know, understands the discontent, the cultural discontent uh, for, for, uh, for a lack of uh, sort of vision and forward movement. And so in, in I, the sailing analogy again, but in choppy waters, you've got to kind of, you know, keep, keep tacking. Um, uh, otherwise you'll never get there. And I think, I think if you're in the middle of a crisis situation in a significant relationship with a significant other and someone else is, where is this going? I think you're already in choppy, like more choppy waters than you expect to be. I think if, you know, when you're starting that relationship, what is the analogy? You don't mend your roof in the middle of a storm. You make yeah. sure that, it, you know, you know where you're going at the start of it. So when things do get choppy, actually, you've got a point of reference that you and that person are moving towards. Absolutely. And you know, we, if, if we talk a bit about um, standards and expectations, I think it's really interested in that, in, in that area. We, you know, um, you know I, I work a lot of teams uh, with a lot of teams on really on, on ethos. You know, what, you know, what is the ethos uh, of, of this organization? And, and that's really what is the cultural framework. And cultural frameworks are made up of, you know, core values. What do we stand for and what won't we? A clear vision of where you want to go, a driving purpose of why does it matter, um, and standards and expectations that we can hold each other accountable for in order for that to happen, in order to, to be true to, to that commitment that we've made to these values or this framework. And that's really what creates a culture, and the behaviors come after that. If, if you've got, you hold yourself to account. But, but you know what? What often happens in difficult times is that those standards drop, or people see themselves as exceptional to those standards, um, and, or, and people stop holding each other accountable to it. And, and there are two kind of aspects to that around a team. One is, have you had that conversation in a business team? Because business isn't really very good at this, right? Sport and military elite teams are really good at this stuff. Right, you know, and there's a reason for that because they they die either on the field or on the battlefield. If they're not, it's it's culture is competitive advantage. And when you're right at the tip of the spear, if you like, 
you, you don't take anything for granted. So, so you get really good at this stuff. Business, it's a little bit loosey-goosey. We're already, we're, we're kind of, we, we don't want to look too heavily in the rear view mirror in case we, we have to look too closely at why we didn't win that pitch or why something went wrong. No one really wants to take responsibility because it's politically, you know, but, but elite teams are all about taking ownership and responsibility and accountability. Um, uh, and, and I would argue that business teams aren't necessarily great learners for that reason. They don't take it on the chin and learn and, and do that. Whereas, you know, elite teams are absolutely great learners. They need to get better every day. That's their commitment. You know, so, so, but, but one of the questions I ask, you know, of, of business teams is you go, you expect people to live up to certain standards, to behave in certain ways. But have you ever had that conversation with them? And a lot of the time you find they haven't. Everyone's running on assumption. Everyone's running on assumption. Well, that's what we did in the last team, right? Or the last organization was the last company I was part of. That's what we did. We, we never rang anyone after five o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday, or we always did. You know, two very different cultural expectations set up from different cultures over different times, different countries, you know, different and so on. But, but it's a very rare to have a leader who will, take, who will take a grip on this and say, okay, guys, let's get together. Let's design the way we want to work together. Let's design our culture. Let's say, you know, what are our values? Or, or if the values exist within an organization, which usually they are, they're on the wall. How do we take them from the wall and put them on the floor? How do, how do we go, what does it mean for us here in accounts? Or what does it mean for us here in sales and distribution? What does it mean for us here in head office or what, you know, whatever your remit is, you know, how do, can we turn, what does this mean about answering the phone? What does this mean about sweeping the floor? Do we do it with a smile on our face? You know, what does it mean guys? And, and there are two aspects of that that are really interesting. One is all those assumptions go out the window because you've had the conversation. You can, um, uh, and, and so three months down the line when things are getting tough, you can call people on it because you've actually had the conversation. But the most important thing is that people feel that they, it's, they are their standards. There's a lovely line um, one of the former All Black coaches uses where he says, um, people will rise to a challenge if it's their challenge. And, and I think that's probably the golden nugget for leadership. You know, if it's your leadership challenge, well, that's one thing. But, but surely one of our key things is how do we transfer that challenge to everybody? So everybody has common cause. Cohesion, common cause, collective action is really what gets stuff done. And, and, um, and, and if you don't ask them, they never sign up to it. You know, they never sign up. People rise to a challenge and it's their challenge. So one of the key challenges that I would put to whoever's listening, if you're looking about re-galvanizing a team or galvanizing a team is, is have those conversations, not about how are we going to up our work rate or da-da-da, but how are we going to live our values? You know, what can we expect from each other? What's the operating system for our organization or for our team? And, and who's going to own those, those uh, behaviors? Because it, it sure as hell better be everybody. You want everybody to do it. You, you don't want, as a boss, you don't want to be talking down to people. You want their mates to be telling them, come on, mate, get a grip, pull it up, let's get going. 
You want those horizontal conversations, not the vertical conversations. So, and the best way to do that is, is to create connection, is to create a sense of contribution to something. And you need to have those conversations. Um, and it doesn't happen afterwards. You know, it doesn't happen when, when the distribution network has failed. It really has to happen when people are going, well, we're suddenly we're back at work and people aren't working from home so much the new normal how are we going to face this and what can we learn from this and what are we all going to do about it it's such a prime time now or over the next few months or a few weeks or a few months um for teams to really come together and, and regalvanize it's the same as a pre-season uh before before a football season you know now is pre-season coming up um and in pre-season a lot of it is about getting to know each other understanding what you can expect from each other setting the standards for what comes um and that happens very rarely in business because business tends to be a kind of continuum and non-seasonal continuum but now's an opportunity for leaders to do that and to pull people together and say right this is what we want to become right yes what about this what about this now what can we hold each other to accountable for who's going to own this let's put our hands up because great teams aren't a team with a leader at the front it's a leader in every position uh, the All Blacks uh, joke about a CEO in every position. Um, special Forces, they talk about the strategic corporal. It's the, it's the corporals at the front line that make the big decisions about whether an operation is successful or not. Um, so have you, and you know, the, the cliched term for it is empowerment. But of course, in business, that doesn't mean a whole lot. Um, but empowerment is giving people power. You know, have you asked them what they think? Have you asked them what they want to do? And, and leaders confident enough to create that kind of environment, really create a, they attract and retain talent. They unleash discretionary effort. They create clarity of, of, of purpose. Um, um, There's huge cohesion within the team. Um, all of the benefits that you want from, from a unit uh, come, come into that kind of conversation. So, so so that would be my kind of, I know I've just uh, held court for 10 minutes, but that would, that would be a way to start to think and to look at um, um, a way to kind of reboot, if you like, um, uh, uh, during these tricky times. Two things came up to me, two points of reference. One is that strategic uh, corporal, I think it was, you said that one at the front making the decisions and those CEO in every position. Now, knowing what I know about the Navy SEALs, which is very little from a couple of books I've read about leadership in those spaces, you know, the, the moment that person cannot make a decision, the next person steps up and makes a decision. Because yeah. often when you're in first player mode, you can't see the wood for the trees. You know, if you're running, sometimes when you're running down the pitch and all you've got is balls coming towards your face, it's very difficult. And sometimes yeah. you get you need that team to then back you up so that they can then, because they're seeing a slightly different angle. They step up, take over. Yep. Um, so the thinking process as a unit continues forward. Now, the CEO position, the idea in every position is, in rugby, you pass the ball backwards, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, yeah. So if you're in front, all you're doing as the leader who's making the charge is passing the ball back to the next person so they can make the charge, and so on and so forth, so that everybody wins as a unit. Yeah. So there isn't just the individual making the charge on their own. It's actually it's everyone passing the ball backwards and forwards and supporting people's development and, and yeah. progression. Yeah, ab ab absolutely. And and you know, a life is a team game. You know, 
Um, two, the the the, um, uh, the 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 metaphor. Alex Ferguson used this with Manchester United, uh, but it, but it's there's uh, it, a metaphor that comes from the from a uh, set of Maori, New Zealand Maori, Indigenous people um, stories and proverbs and narratives of a flying bee, a vector, you know, birds flying uh, like geese. In New Zealand, it's the native cormorant. Um, and, you know, the story goes, you, you know, the bird up the front, the leader, if you like, the boss sets the, sets the altitude and the attitude, you know, and the, and, the, and the vector, you know, and all of that. Makes those sort of big, big picture strategic decisions. And in doing so, it creates a narrative and creates uplift for those who come behind. Um, those who come behind honk and encouragement. I got this boss. You know, you know, what about this idea? Maybe we should do that. Or maybe there's something you're not seeing. And in doing so, they help the boss. But they also, in their flight, they create uplift for those who come behind who do the same. If one of them should drop off out of the flock, um, a couple of birds will go with them to help them regain the flock. Because care and compassion and love you know, brotherhood, um, sisterhood um, is incredibly important in any team, in any organization. Um, you know, we, we've, you know, um, follow your bliss. And one of the things that we want is to do stuff we, 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 we like or love with people we like or love. You know, that's one of our drivers. Um, uh, and, and most importantly, probably that when, the, when the, the boss has done what they, he or she can, you know, they've exhausted themselves in the effort, whether it's for a project or for a job or whatever. They know they can fall back into the formation. There'll be another bird there at that moment to take their place. So, you know, one captain, but 15 leaders in a rugby team. Leadership at every level, CEO in every position. And that's an incredibly important visualization of a very important concept. And uh, I think it was Tom Peters who wrote, you know, leaders don't create followers, they create leaders. You know, they create other leaders. They you know, our job as leaders is to create other leaders, is to create the space for other people to take ownership and responsibility. And, and that, is where, that is where empowerment comes in because ownership and responsibility is the handing over of power. Um, interestingly, interestingly um, and it's how people grow. People don't grow without having an opportunity to make decisions, to be thrown in sometimes in the deep end, to own projects. One of the worst things that we can do as leaders is, um, because, because many of us have kind of gone up the scale and we're good at the job we last did and that's why we get the job that we got. So the person who steps into that job, we're really, really quite good at criticizing them, of stepping in, of changing the PowerPoint at the last minute. Because that does irreparable damage to their growth as a leader. And it means that your focus is downwards and not upwards. And as a leader, you need to be thinking about the next thing. You're that generative force. It's the same fundamental structure is as uh, the military call mission command or a commander's intent, um, which is the fundamental kind of leadership doctrine within the military, um, adopted it to greater or lesser kind of uh, impact depending on skills really. But, but it, it really came from a small moment of history. It, it came from when Napoleon beat the Prussians uh, in 1806, I think it was. Um, uh, and the Prussians were very, um, hierarchical, uh, whereas Napoleon's army was very distributed in its leadership. Still had him as a very clear vision setter, but the generals were able to make independent decisions and maneuver independently. 
Um, the Prussians had to ride their horse to the top of the hill to ask permission to move their troops. Um, so, so the Napoleon whooped the Prussians, took them apart, um, and the Prussians then became the Germans. It was the end of the empire, and they really started to they started the, the German military academy, which started to look at well, how do you create a leadership um, formula or framework uh, that can enable independent thought? You know, decision making on the fly in a distributed way, um, because of course that's what any organisation needs. You don't win or lose back in the general staff area. You win or lose out on the battlefield, and that's the same within within you know the grocery business, the international rugby business, or the special force business. You know, the decisions that get made out at the front line are the ones that define your business often. And, and so how do you create an environment that holds together? They, so they call it mission command. And mission command becomes about select the right people, get the right people on board, train them properly, make sure they have the, the capability to do it, resource them properly, make sure they have the capacity to do it, and instruct them in a certain way or communicate in a certain way. And that, in the US, they call this the commander's intent. Paint the picture of the future. What does the future look like? And then have the courage to get out of the way. Then have the courage to step back, to allow the, so, so as a leadership, top level leadership, you're setting the what and the why, the intent. But the, your subordinates are figuring out the how, they're doing the tactics, they're the, your strategic corporals. And in allowing that to happen, first it gives you as a leader an opportunity to see the big picture and to go forward and to be thinking about what's next. But it also is, growing your team. Literally, it's a growth business from the inside. Your team is getting better. Um, they are becoming more capable. They're becoming more competent. They're getting more experience. They're making the decisions. They are leading and becoming better. And so you've created a growth environment in which, in which your teams are, are improving. Um, but if you sit there and chop and change people's PowerPoints and disempower them all the time, Two years later, same team's not going to be any better. You're not going to have grown that team at all. Um, and the final factor in Mission Command is what they call the directed periscope or telescope, which is just kind of take a look, but don't micromanage. Just check in. Just look for telltale signs that things are going well. How's that going? You know, kind of thing. But don't micromanage because micromanaging kills initiative absolutely kills initiative and and just on on just to sort of finish off this the, you know there are three things you want to create in a great team and it comes from self-determination theory um uh, you, the people want mastery autonomy and a sense of connection or relatedness they want to be good at the stuff that they're good at generally good people generally want to be better at what they do they want to get better every day and if you can create an environment that people get better they'll love you for it They'll stay and they will get better. Um, they want autonomy. No one wants to be micromanaged. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me the decisions I have to make. Don't micromanage me. Don't come down on me. So autonomy gives them a sense of freedom and liberty and discretionary effort and relatedness. People want to be connected to the people around them and to a cause that makes a difference. They want to be part of something great. And as a leader, if you can answer those three things within a team environment, and the, the, the framework of Mission Command is, is, is uniquely designed, I think, to enable those kind of things to happen.
encouraging mastery. You're giving people space to make mistakes, but to learn from them and to get better. And you also have an intention. You have a, a big, hairy, audacious goal to chase that people get into, and that gives relatedness. And it, and it means they love you more as a leader and they tend to be doing something together. And that common cause, as you say at the beginning of this, in times of adversity brings people closer together and you get all the juice you want out of a team. And that's a tremendously powerful way of looking, framework of looking at leadership and looking at team development and looking at organizational change and redirection that isn't just do it my way or the highway, which is will work for anyone. Sorry, long speech, but hopefully ties it all together. A beautiful several long speeches with a whole lot of value in each segment of that. When you're talking about uh, natural succession planning and a vector of geese, when you're talking about how individuals can make decisions when they're at the coalface, um, and then also the sole responsibility of a leader. And I say, when I say the sole responsibility of a leader is to create more leaders, I say the sole with a you, not just about me. Yeah. Um, and yeah. you as in the letter, you know, it is the sole responsibility of us to create more leaders. Why? Because I'm not here to create followers. I'm here to create people that are going to supersede me. And when I lead my teams, yeah. I treat those people like my children, not like a child because I want them to outgrow yeah. me. When they leave the nest, do I want them to be equal to or less than me? Definitely not. Um, but the important part is coming back to that beginning thing, though, about the values. If they're going to be um, satellite teams distributed over a battlefield uh, or distributed across a, a, a nation or whatever, there's got to be that, that lens that they can then make the decisions through so that when you're not micromanaging, you can turn around and say, what was that decision based on? Well, it was based on humility, challenge, blah, blah, whatever. So they can say, this yeah. is, this, these are the behaviors I've de deployed. So yeah. for me, that question then is, how do we define our values? That's the question. How do we define it? Well, I think a lot of organizations have values done already. They've been through a values exercise, you know, and that's the problem. It was an exercise. I, the joke I made sometimes when I'm speaking is, you know, you know, one of Enron's values was integrity and look what happened there. You know, how do you take those values? You know, so, so there are two questions. If you, if you don't have values, I'll address that in the moment. But if, if there is a sort of a set of values, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. What it is, it's about taking those values from the wall and getting them on the floor. And that's about that discussion. It's about, okay, what does that mean for us today now? How can we bring them, that alive? How can we live those values? Um, the, you know, there's a phrase, live the values out loud. How, how can we make them real? You know, so if it's, I don't know, excellence, you know, as a, a generic value, but it tends to be around, you know, you take excellence down and you have a look at, you can apply that prism to just about anything. And you can go, okay, well, do, do a, is our ordering system really okay? Or is it excellent? You know, how can we make it more excellent? Um, but it's, it's not so much the decisions that you make, it's the making of decisions that makes it connective, that gives it connective tissue. Um, you know, the people will rise to a challenge if it's their challenge. Or uh, a, a, joke, a joke I've used is that it's a guided appreciative inquiry. You know, you, you, you inquire, you want to know the answers, you appreciate the answers, but you're guiding it in a certain direction. But, but that process of doing it 
the somebody else called it once the illusion of inclusion, but I think that's too cynical. The real inclusion, right? Is that is that what you're creating is a culture all the time? The culture is it doesn't exist. It's an it's it needs to be organic and it needs to be generative. Um, you you know otherwise it just you know moves away. So the the process of having the conversations about let's turn these values into actions, let's revisit them and on a regular basis and go what does this mean for us now. Um, becomes really hugely important. The values don't change, but some of the delivering, the way that you deliver them, because hopefully you've delivered them a little bit better in the last quarter. So it's time to revisit how you're gonna deliver them better in the next quarter. Um, and those conversations as a framing device for more strategic or more tactical conversations holds a culture together very, very strongly. They become the immutable truth at the heart of what you're talking about um, and and you know this it, 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 to your first question how do you create cultures or how do you create values um, over time with patience and uh, and usually with a degree of you know the reality I think is that that tends to be generalship it tends to be somebody setting an agenda why have we all, why have we developed this organization? What is this team for? And there needs to be a degree of leadership in that area. This is what we stand for. Who's in and who's out? But 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 you kind of do that eighty percent. You sketch it out, and then you create a conversation with your broader, you know, with your the 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 kind of device I I consider is you've sort of got. You've got where you are and where you want to go. You sketch that one out. And then you begin a conversation with your leadership group, with your core team. And then once you're pretty good on that, you open that conversation up to your broader tribe, a tribe around that. Now, that depends on your organization, your team, and your challenge and everything, and how big that gets. But you, you know, in a large organization, that could be an internet poll, an online poll of everybody. Or it could be, you know... Um, or in a smaller team, it could go from the the playing eleven or the the travelling squad, you know, in an elite team to the to the um, to the backroom staff, and then you might take it out to the wider organisation. But it, but the process is about having that conversation, connecting people around that common conversation, so people get their fingerprints on it. They feel that they're part of it. It's not just a, something from space that landed on top of them. It's, it's something they were part of. And, you know, you know, people, you know, there are two truths. One, we're all little kids at heart. And, and as, as little kids, we've always, you know, we still walk into our parents and say, hey, I drew something. What do you think of this? We still want to be seen and recognized and appreciated uh, and our contribution valued. You know, that's really important. Um, and two, if we've had an idea and it's our idea, we'll die for that idea. Try changing somebody's opinion on the internet. You know, an idea that they've held. It's impossible. They got that idea, that's their idea. So if it was their idea, they would die for that idea. And so that's tremendously powerful within any group that, that to have people, that Oliver Cromwell said um, something, he said, my, my men knew what they fought for and they loved what they knew. And I think that's a really nice way of thinking about it. You know, you need to be clear, you know what you fight for, and in the knowing, you kind of love it. 
Um, and so that's really, really important. Um, and then, then from there, in terms of if we, if we just sort of follow the diagram around, you get, once you've got your values, you then you start to establish standards and expectations. What does that mean? You know, what does that mean for me? How do we answer the phone? How do we treat our customers? If somebody sends a product back, how do we treat them? You know, all of those kind of the way we do things around here, the operational kind of things. Um, and then you want language around it. You want to have phrases for it. You want to make it what, what, what in the Vedic Chronicles they call sutras, you know, small little aphorisms. Um, in, in my book, I write about sweep the sheds, uh, no dickheads, I'm sorry, you know, go for the gap. Um, not because they're slogans, though they are, but because they're hooks to hang ideas on. They're shorthand for behaviours. And, and, you know, any great organisation has what I call a, a common but uncommon language. They have, they have it's a common language within the organisation, but it's unique to that organisation. Um, uh, and once you've established that, then you can start to establish symbols, you know, the, the, the what does it look like, and that might be the colour, it might be a flag. Um, but I think most importantly, then you get on to the area of ritual. You know, what do you do regularly? What are the regular behaviors that you, that you bring about? If, if, if service or contribution, say, is one of your values, do you really contribute to your community or do you just sell them stuff? You know, do you actually once a year, everybody downs tools and goes out and sweeps up some, you know, little old ladies' front yards? Do you really serve your community or do you just, serve them food you know how do you take those values and take them a little bit further and and be become something exceptional extraordinary extraordinary not just ordinary we serve them food extraordinary we do something really unbelievable and that's where organizations really people fall in love with organizations that do that that, that push it to that level and then then just to finish my 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 trajectory um how do you how do you uh, reward and recognize or endorse and enforce how do you reward and recognize the right behaviors not financially you can do it financially but it's not about a bonus it's what are the small little shiverless the small moments of reward um that, that you can get and you know in mcdonald's it might be employee of the week or whatever um or of the month but there are always ways to recognize and you know we do it instinctively we have it we have prizes at the end of the year at a booze up or we do all of that sort of thing but but how do you reward people how do you make people feel that they are acknowledged and recognized and how do you enforce it you know if you see somebody who's not doing it are you prepared to fire your star employee because culturally they're a misfit you know are you prepared to to, to draw a line Otherwise, you've got a pretty soppy or, or sloppy kind of edge to it. Um, and then finally, how do, you, um, uh, how do you measure and monitor it is an aspect. How can you set into place aspects that measure and monitor um, whether, whether your culture is on, on track? And clearly, there are technologies around it. Sometimes it's human judgment. Um, and then I think the final aspect is how do you kind of keep the drum beating? How do you, and I call that induction. And induction is new people, but it's your, it's telling the same story in a million different ways um, and bringing people on board and on board and on board all the time. 
And if you can kind of go through that process from kind of making a strategic decision, understanding some values, having the conversations on a leadership value, opening up those conversations, getting buy-in, setting some standards, giving words to that, symbolizing what that looks like, ritualizing it uh, in a profound human way, um, rewarding great behavior, being prepared to, to kind of enforce it when it doesn't happen, measuring it in a way that's accurate and, and doesn't kind of, the measure but doesn't become the thing, and then keep on beating that drum, uh, then you're able to create a culture that, that, that regenerates and takes itself forward uh, all the time. And that's a very powerful way to look at one, one significant aspect of leadership. It's clearly not the only aspect of leadership, but it's a very significant one. How do you create a, a competitive cultural environment that takes you, keeps taking you to the next level? Amazing. Because that is that induction piece of where you're bringing people into that culture, which has already been created here, that keeps that flow and that momentum. It keeps people coming on board and growing it. But then I think there's a revisitation of what does it actually mean? What does that look like? Okay, if that value was written in 1920, how does that look in 2020? Yeah. What, what does that mean to people now? And the analogy that popped to my mind was the, um, you know, the, um, the oh, what is it? The, the right to bear arms in America. Yes. That amendment, you know, that um, that was written. Yeah, I'm not sure which number it is, but it was written when men were carrying these seven-foot muskets that took yeah. three hours to load, not an AK-47. You yeah. know, it, so it's actually th these things need to adapt and shift. These things that we hold dearest to us need to grow with our people, so the people can grow inside that as well. Yeah, you you have some NRA members out there listening to us now, going, "No, why should they change?" But but my <laughs> I but but I think it's exactly that, and it's it's one of the issues that I'm just going to shift the screen. I think I'm probably overexposing, but um, from for the lights streaming in in the afternoon. Not, but they, not a streaker. They they they're not a streaker. The um, uh, but but you know fundamentalism, you know, tends to be stagnation in any social grouping. Um, and it's one of the main issues that I have around that kind of idea of fundamentalist that, that it is written. Well, A, it's just a piece, you know, cultures are behaviours. They're social organisations based on agreement, common agreement within that social group. So, so rather than, well, that's all, that's always the way we've done it around here. It's like, no, what does this mean now? You know, if, 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 um, if you were running a restaurant at, in January, right, uh, and it was about connection and, and sharing food around a table, right, and that's your only offer, well, that's not going to cut it for a while. People aren't going to want to share food and tables particularly. Social distancing is going to become a thing. But, if, but, but you need to adapt. And maybe underneath that, your value is actually conviviality might be the value you go okay well it's not no longer long tables where everyone's sharing it's about um independence you know tables that are separate from each other so the question then becomes how can we deliver conviviality in a new world the the, the emotional connection and exchange is the same the delivery is different and 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 that's really if we kind of we come full circles back to the values thing that you know if you come back to that values thing that's really if you've got your values right in the first place which if you've been reasonably successful pre-crisis 
uh, chances are you're providing something of value that people value. Um, what does that look like for people now? You know, if, if um, and, and, and those I think are gonna be the key questions for organizations over the next however long, you know? You know, this, this, there is no magic bullet. There is no instant vaccine. There is gonna be risk. There is gonna be fear for quite some time. And so, so, so we've really got to go, well, what are the values that we hold most dear? And how does that, um, how can that be translated into a new environment? And, and I think that's a really key question. Um, because it's an important question in terms of maintaining the brand, if you like, or the offer, but it's going to be really, really critical internally for organizations because how dare we ask people to come and, you know, risk their life coming into an open plan work environment with, with air conditioning. You know, that's if things go south for just one of those people, that's, that's a problem. Um, so a lot of these things are going to have to be, you know, really well thought out. And, and if those values, which are fundamentally human, sort of humanist, if you like, um, are first and foremost, I think the decisions will be better ones. Not all decisions will be perfect and you will be tacking and changing, but there'll be better decisions. Um, and there'll be human decisions. And, you know, you know, my, you know, my kind of belief is that the good guy wins. You know, the, 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 the good guys win in there, not just in the movies, they kind of win in business too. You know, you know that, that there's a mythology that you have to be hard and cutthroat and ruthless. I don't see that. I see the people who, who, who are human and vulnerable and allow people to be vulnerable and allow people to be authentic um, and care, take care of their people. Uh, are, the, are the organizations that by and large, there are exceptions, but, you know, by and large, um, are the ones that, that, uh, that have longevity, that are sustainable. Um, and I think as a legacy, if we come back to the idea of legacy, you know, what kind of organization would you rather leave behind you when it's time for you to kind of get your gold watch and teeter off the stage? You know, you know the thing that we tend to be most proud of is the difference that we've made in the lives of others. The contribution that we've made, not the not the number of times we hit our numbers, and that's important. That's part of it, but it's not the whole thing, and it's not motivating for people. So, um, and I was, I was going to say, you know, that legacy piece. I, I, I use that word in the different kind of demographics of people, and it means very little. I, I find to the younger generation. And I say that as a forty-two-year-old man when I'm speaking to kind of people in their twenties. When I say the word legacy, they look at me like I've got three heads. And I don't think it's until kind of we hit that middle point and we suddenly start to feel like maybe there's less years in front of us than there are behind yep. us, or we have children, that, we start, that the majority start to think like this. Yep. Uh, and one of the questions I say to people, you know, is having worked in, in production and finance, you know, on my deathbed, am I going to be concerned about that I didn't renew enough car insurance policies on July 14th? 1990 no no one's going to give two shits it's going to be about the conversations that you've had with individuals and how you've changed people's lives are the things that you're going to reflect on and yeah. when you get to that point you know is it a movie is it a film that you've created 
that you actually want to watch all the way through? Or is it going to be a film that you walk out halfway through, you know, when you're remembering your life? Yeah. That's what legacy is about. It's about the gift, the giving and the cherishing of others that you're leaving it to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, there's a, um, Pericles, the Athenian, um, statesman, uh, he, he said something paraphrased, but something like, um, um, you know, it's not about what's written on stone monuments. It's the difference that the, in the live and the fabric of the lives you touch that really matters. Mm. And, you know, somebody else talked about it as it's the difference between a CV life and a eulogy life. The CV life is I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. A eulogy life is what people are going to say about you when you're gone. And that's really about values. You know, he was a kind man. You know, she was, she was an intelligent, you know, an astute woman. Um, um, that they, he, he or she made a huge difference uh, to me at a critical time, was a great teacher, was a great father, was, was the, the giving back. And I think there's two sides of it. I think you're right on the, on the age group thing. Um, but often, often uh, and, and I think you're right on, in terms of parenthood, I think changes a lot. Uh, with people there was a um i i remember getting a text uh when when we had our first child uh, which was just welcome to the human race and i thought that was yeah well you know all of a sudden there is now there's clearly that's a joke but 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 there is a that sort of sense of representing of handing over of handing of 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 what are you doing with your time here on earth um that is a more profound question at any age uh, than what can I get out of this? And it, and because it's a more profound question and because it's actually creating value for others, it tend, you tend to be more successful uh, thinking like that. Um, Jim Collins called it level five leadership. The most successful in some of his studies were, were, were those who, for, the, for whom the cause is the important thing. You know, what we're doing here, what we're doing here is really important. Not what can I get out of it? Um, I, I had a really interesting conversation with a psychologist at the Navy SEALs training at Coronado, and they have a thing called Hell Week. And Hell Week is, um, is brutal. Five hours sleep in a week, hypothermic, crawling over sand, horrible. They carry boats above their head, horrible, difficult, really challenging. About 200 of them start, about 30 finish. Um, so the question is who, who survives? Who gets through? What they say is the people, and it's paraphrased again, but, but um, on Monday, the ones that drop out, starts on a Sunday, on the Monday, the ones that have dropped out by then are what they call the kind of Friday night seals. They're the guys who are turning, want to be, just be able to say, I'm a seal in a bar on a Friday night. The day two that drop out, they call the, um, uh, the uh, oh yeah, daddy's boys. Their father was an admiral. So they're doing it for their dad. They're doing it for somebody else. Day three is sort of local heroes. They, they're the quarterback for the, for the football team and they've been kind of marching band out of town, go and represent us. But they're still doing it for somebody else. The, the guys that survive, uh, and it is all guys at this point, um, uh, uh, there are two kinds. The, the ones who have just set a standard for themselves. I am gonna prove it to myself that I can do this, right? You know, they've set them uh, an internal value, an internal kind of meter. Um, but the ones that they're really looking for, that the leadership are really looking for, are the, 
uh, are the ones who really thrive in that environment. And they're the ones who, when you're running along the beach at three o'clock in the morning, no one's had any sleep and you're hypothermic, they're the ones saying, come on guys, we can do this. They're the givers, they're the contributors. They're the ones who are giving to something. We as a team will bring something about. And that sense of contribution to something bigger than ourselves. The All Blacks say no one is bigger than the jersey. You're a steward of the jersey. And your, and your job is to leave that jersey in a better place. Not show what a great footy player you are. Not get famous and get the girls. I mean, that might happen. But your core purpose is around contribution. What difference can you make in the world? Now, there isn't a higher purpose than that. You know, that's a contribution of love and compassion and commitment. It's the hero's journey. We, I said we'd come back to the hero's journey. You know, the hero's journey is you're called to a, to a task that's, um, that's bigger than yourself. You know, out of nowhere, you're selected out of nowhere and you have to step up. And then you have to overcome challenges, both internal and external. The external ones are a metaphor for your internal challenges. Get over yourself. Um, to face the big battle, to face your nemesis, the thing that scares you the most, success, you know, whatever it is, to bring home the boon, to bring home the, the holy grail, the prize, the Olympic medal, the employee of the year, whatever it is, to those you love and who love you. Um, that's the story. And it's a story of sacrifice and contribution. And, and, it's a, and, and, and it's a purposeful story um, of giving of yourself, of um, the, the Greg Popovich of the, of the uh, San Antonio Spurs, hugely successful basketball franchise in the States, um, says what they're looking for is people who have got, athletes who have gotten over themselves. You know, have, have, uh, it's not, they're not doing it for them. They, they, they are doing it for them. It's there, of course, we do it for ourselves. Of course we do. That's not the primary motivation. It's what difference can I make? And living in that way as a leader to create other leaders, living in that way as a human being to, to create a better world of some form to make a positive contribution. It's not the altruistic way of doing things. It's the successful way of doing things. You know, what has, it's, it's what winners do. You know, you know, winning is a selfish act based on selflessness. You know, and that contribution that you can make beyond yourself to others creates the value. From values comes the value and people pay for value. Um, so, you know, my challenge to the people listening is, you know, you know, what of yourself are you giving? What contribution are you making? How are you leaving that jersey in a better place? Um, the, the Greeks have a great uh, uh, proverb. They, they say, you know, plant trees you'll never sit in the shade of. Um, and I think, you know, the, the, by, by lifting your eyes to that, the, the Maori have a lovely proverb. They say, aim for the highest cloud, because even if you come short, you'll hit a lofty mountain. Now, the highest cloud must be, you know, it's world peace and mung beans. It's out there somewhere. But the highest cloud, you know, isn't a new BMW or a corner office. That's a byproduct of that stuff. Um, and so, so, and I think that's the real essence of a purpose-driven kind of way of looking at things. I talked about it earlier, you know, values-based, you know, know what you stand for and know what you want. Have a clear vision of where you're going. What's your intent? What's that commander's intent? 
And why does it matter? What contribution you're making? What's your contribution going to be? And if you can create a framework and ethos around yourself that enables that to happen, um, uh, then you're way, way ahead of the game and your game will keep on lifting. And, and just, just one final coda to that. The word ethos is a really interesting word. Um, it's, um, uh, it, 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 it is analogous to the word, word character. And the word character in the Greek, uh, in the ancient Greek, we, we saw slightly different than we see today. You know, now we see it as a one side, you know, um, our, our attributes, you know, our personality, our values in action, if you like, you know, our good stuff. Um, the Greeks saw it as, as once as that, that's true, but on the, but it, it's a two-sided coin. And on the other side of the coin, it's character that's the same root as a typewriter character. It makes an impression. It has an impact. So the story you tell yourself, I say the story you tell yourself, the character you develop, the values that you live out loud, will turn out to be the story that others tell about you, will turn out to be the story, the impact that you have on the world, the impression that you make, the impact you have. And, you know, that's greatness. That's leadership. Really, the, the, the New York Times, when they do their obituaries, um, their, their, their criteria for who they write about is those who have made the biggest impact in their time. And that sense of having an impact of making a difference to others is, I think, is leadership, really. It's taking responsibility for the impact on other people and, and taking that forward and, and making your contribution literally in life with your time and the team. We're not here forever. What are we going to do with this time? And if you can live like that and if you can think like that, your game will lift and all of the trappings will come with it. You just go for the trappings. You're just another chancer on Instagram trying to sell their wear, their wares, you know? So that's, so that end of, that's my rant and my speech, but uh, hopefully that, uh, that help uh, kind of adds to the, to the debate somehow. That's huge. And you know what? I'm conscious because we haven't even got into some of those indigenous wisdoms that I really wanted to get into. We've hit the nail, like we've really hit some um, core fundamental points about values, integrity, those sorts of things that go with this and that stewardship to the Jersey. And yeah. I've heard it said before, you know, as we don't own the world, we are just looking after it to give to our children. And again, it's yeah. that stewardship idea. And actually that, that, that ethos running through the all blacks coming from that Maori culture in New Zealand, you know, even from kind of that earth wisdom of, of we, we want to leave it in a place, you know, a better place so we can actually give it to our children because it's not belonging to us. It belongs to our children. So they can give it to them and they can give it to theirs and so on. Um, yeah. Huge. The other interesting thing I picked up on was that eulogy piece. And actually we write a CV of, I did this, I did this, I did this, but a eulogy is we have these characters. My challenge to the people listening to this is take those two ideas. A, you can do it as a really good exercise and write your own eulogy. But yeah. B, have a look at your resume or your CV and start writing it as if it is your eulogy so people can see the character you're made up of yeah. and the value that you bring when you're on point and when you're in your zone of genius so that they actually they want to employ you and give you a job or a pay rise or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Take those two things together. Absolutely. And, you know, character, you know, the, the John Wooden, there's a basketball coach from the 60s, UCLA, the Bruins. Um, he, he said something along the lines of, you know, talent will win games, but character will win tournaments. And, and so by working on our character, by putting our character first 
and and by understanding that you know in the military they say do the right thing on a difficult day you know do it right you know steve jobs used to um his father i think was a carpenter or his stepfather i think was a carpenter and, and taught him you know put the good wood where no one can see it you know you know no one else necessarily will ever see it but you know it's there you know it's there you know you've done the job right and and I think that the um, the it, it, it's a characteristic uh, that I've discovered certainly within elite teams of you know all the great performers. There's no shortcuts. There's really no shortcuts. There's no well I can get away with this. You know the, the All Blacks recently famously in in the book I wrote I, I wrote about how um, they sweep the sheds. So they 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 compete and there's thousands of people around chanting their name um, and after the games they don't leave it to anyone else they take care of business they sweep the sheds and that's like getting their feet on the ground doing it right being humble before the craft because as soon as you lose that humility um, uh, you know it's all over um, but by keeping your feet on the ground sh showing character not for anyone else I mean I revealed this story but there wasn't a story they weren't doing it for anyone else they were doing it for themselves um, because it was just the right thing to do and and by doing things right the first time the right time you're sending a huge kind of neurological signal to yourself um that 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 i am i am solid i will be dependent upon i can depend on myself i'm moving in the right direction um and and that is the way to to, to sustainable success you can take shortcuts might look good for a little while but you're not building character you're not building an ethos and you're not building a team and you're not building your capacity uh if you're if you're taking shortcuts so i, I think it's a really maybe as a final kind of thing about bringing it back home on an individual level mm. um usually important and it, for me it's I wanted to talk about mana. I wanted to talk about the haka. And you know, when you're, you're an all black and you're working at that level is, um, like you say, your, your emotions and your spirit and your energy goes up, 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 up. And it's just that grounding sensation, you know, and it's yeah. not, it's not, a, it's not a belittling or lower than thing. It's just, it's, it's a grounding. It's almost like a meditation process. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, you know, you have to be confident not to be arrogant. Mm. Arrogance isn't isn't confidence. Arrogance is an insecure, fragile place. Um, the the um, the um, uh, but but genuine humility. You know, just a word on humility. One of one of the All Blacks um, values. Um, the British SAS um, their ethos talks about. Interestingly, might be worth going through. They talk about a relentless pursuit of excellence. Mm. Uh, the equivalent of, I'm paraphrasing again, but kind of personal discipline in every, in every domain. Um, rank, what they call rank, but no class. May the best idea when hierarchy doesn't matter, but, you know, so, and so a culture of respect and humility in a sense of humor. So humility in there again. Um, the Navy SEALs, their, their insignia, the, the trident, um, their badge of belonging has um, uh, the... Uh, the American Eagle has its head bowed in humility. Um, so three elite teams, three of the best teams in the world have at their, one of their essential values is that idea of humility. Don't get ahead of yourself. 
you know, don't think you're special. Um, you know, practice like you're number two. Be number one, but practice like you're number two. Stay humble and stay hungry. And I think that's a great thing, particularly in a corporate environment, for people to remember that that the BMW or the salary or the business class flights or the, you know, whatever it is, don't really mean that much in a scale of things. You can make it mean all you want, but there's plenty of that. But there are true leaders of, of great character and there are true human beings who have gone beyond, you know, there are, there are a precious few human beings who have gone beyond their superficial um, to, to something that, that, that is really deeply authentic and as a contribution. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and it's those that do that tend to, it take, might take longer to get there, but those, those that do that when they get there, they, they really know themselves. They are strong. Um, they are centered. They are, as you say, grounded, uh, and they're able to therefore be true leaders not just of a business or a thing, but in life. And I think, you know, a lot of the time we tend to think about these things as what would make you better at business? You know, I'm really interested in what makes us better in life. Mm. You know, what, what, what takes us beyond that? Um, because, you know, business is one small part of, of, of our life. And, uh, and as we've seen, you know, People have gone from, you know, earning great billings to unemployed in the last six or eight weeks. We have to have more than that. And we need to be able to stand strong um, in a great place. And I think coming back to your um, first question around values, you know, it, it, it becomes around that. Last question. I'm conscious of time because this is there's a whole ream of avenues that we could have, have to do some editing or, <laughs> or ask for the patience of your listeners, maybe your viewers. And I, do you know what they're going to get the whole of this because they need the entirety of it? I think at some way we need to make a new, another conversation, a new conversation. We could just get this indigenous wisdom and share that thinking from. Yeah, you. we could we could do that for sure. If there's if there's some desire for it, for sure. I, I have a desire for it. I don't know if that maybe that's selfish, but I want to dig into that for sure. My last question for you right now then is where can people find you? Uh, well, it, it, Google is tremendously powerful. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, uh, I have a company called Fable Partners. Uh, we do uh, organizational change. I'm not so hands-on with that. Uh, but, but Google James Kerr um, Legacy all blacks uh, and you'll, you'll, you'll track me down one of various avenues that you can get in touch. Um, uh, the easiest is probably just to get to me individually is through LinkedIn. So um, feel free to, to find me that way. James, you're a legend yourself. So thank you very much. It's really appreciated all your credits and all as many of your links will be below in the show notes on YouTube and wherever else we share this. I just want to say a huge thank you from me, a huge thank you from all our listeners that are paying attention to this. I hope you've taken extreme notes because there is extreme value in what has been shared. What a phenomenal sticky interview. James, thank you. And see you on the next one. See you on the next one. Thank you very much. It's been great talking. Cheers. Firstly, massive thank you from the MBM team for tuning in to this sticky interview. If you haven't already done so, now is the time to click subscribe and stay up to date with our new training videos and great interviews. And secondly, if you want to learn more about the skills we've been talking about in this episode, click the link and take a look at the MBM virtual classrooms. They're there to help you be the best version of you in the work that you do. Until next time, see you soon.